Hello, and welcome to Transforming 45. This is the very first episode, and I am so excited and nervous and curious and all of the things. This podcast is called Transforming 45 because I am 45 years old, and it is in this year that I decided it was time for a massive change. I know I won't be 45 forever, but 45 is the year I decided to come home to myself. And that is worth holding on to. So 45 will always be special. So next year when I'm 46, I don't need to change the title of the podcast. 45 is a marker that will be important in my life for the rest of my story. This is a podcast about womanhood, however you express that womanhood. This is a podcast about transformation. This is a podcast about reclaiming who you are as a woman in this world, at this age, at this stage, after all of the life that you have lived and coming to terms with who you are now and getting to know that version of you. Today's episode is me telling my own story. Episodes that follow will be pulling threads of the story that I start to tell today. Most episodes will be interviews with friends and experts on topics that I know matter to women who are going through these transitional phases of life. So today, you get my voice. Going forward, I hope to make space for the voices of many women, because this is a powerful stage in our lives that goes unnoticed, that goes unsupported by society at large. And yet, here we are in this phase where I feel more wise and vibrant and vital than I have at any other phase in my life. And so I hope that my story helps to create a community for all of us who are feeling like, how did I, how did I get here? What are the things that either put me on the trajectory that got me to exactly where I wanted to be in life? or that pushed me to spaces that maybe I didn't really want to be in anyway. So today I will tell my story. I hope you hear yourself in my story. And if you don't, I hope you hear a perspective that If you don't see yourself in my story, I hope that my perspective can connect to yours in a way, because the more we hear each other's stories, the more we witness each other, 
the more we come back together, the more we come back home, not only to ourselves, but to each other. So here we go, my story. So as we all know, I am 45, which means I was born in 1977. I am a white girl from a small Ontario town and everything I experienced growing up was pretty privileged, was about as privileged as you could get, really. I had two parents. Uh, I am an only child. I did everything I was supposed to do. I saw the script of what it meant to be a good woman written out in front of me. And I walked the road. I followed the script. I did all the things I was supposed to do. I had the right friends, whatever that means. But in my case, it meant I had friends who kept me on the, on the path, on the road. Um, my high school, this is interesting. My high school was tiny. My graduating class had 35 people in it. And that kept the narrative pretty tight because we were all walking that same road. We were all going on the same path. We graduated from high school. We went off to university. Um, the, the people from that cohort all chose to do really interesting and amazing things. And I always felt like I did what was safe but I didn't do what my heart really wanted me to do. And when I look back on it now, from this perspective, I can see that tug of my heart throughout every decision I made. The university I chose, um, I chose for a very specific program because Growing up, my dad was an educator. He was a teacher when I was young, and then he was a vice principal, and then he was a principal. And I watched the way education took over his life. And I had made the decision really early on that I didn't want that for myself. I did not want a, a job, a role in this world that completely took over my life, who I was, what choices I was able to make. And yet, when I graduated from university, I fell into the trap of safety, of predictability, of doing what a good woman should do. I graduated university when I was 24. At that point, I was engaged 
to the wonderful human who remains my husband. <laughs> and that is, that's a whole other episode, but um, I am really grateful that I chose Ken as my partner in this life because when other people have told me that my voice was a problem or that I took up too much space, he always was there to say, your voice matters and we will make all the space that you need. So that is a decision on, you know, that train of decisions that I was making that kept me going on that scripted narrative that I don't regret for one second. And I'm grateful for every second of the day. I was, so I was engaged and looking at creating a life with someone and all of the decisions that need to be made when you're thinking about creating a life. And I did love working with children. That has been a theme throughout my life where working with kiddos brings me great joy. So I thought, well, you know, I know, I know what the downside of teaching is. I think I know how to keep myself out of it and I'll be working with kids and it will be safe and it will be all of the things that I need for creating a family, which is what I wanted more than anything. I wanted to make my own family. So at 24, I got married. I went to teacher's college. I graduated from teacher's college. I got a job right away because there was this little window of time where educators were hired really quickly <laughs> and it was like being shot out of a cannon. I suddenly was so wrapped up in all of the, in all of the things in being a wife and being early on in my career and chasing success in that career I started off teaching special education um, with a team of really incredible humans. And yet again, there's another moment that I am deeply grateful for because they opened my mind to what it meant to be equitable, to what it meant to really see every human being for who they are and who they are meant to be. And again, I am forever grateful to them for starting me in that way, for making space for me and my ideas that were outside of the norm because they were there with me too. And so for a few years, I felt at home. I was working with people who were like-minded who understood me and I understood them. And that's what I thought education would be, that I would always get to work with these incredible humans who supported me and saw me. And we worked together to try to create some reality for kiddos who didn't, who maybe didn't fit into what the traditional school system wanted them to be. And then I had babies of my own. 
So at 27, I had my first. At 29, I had my second. And then I was even more wrapped in the narrative of good womanhood and what that meant and the responsibility that I had to holding and supporting and loving these new humans who were in my care while at the same time serving the humans in my professional world. And I completely gave myself over to that work, to mothering, to educating, and I abandoned myself. And I threw myself into what I thought a good educator, wife, mother should be. And when I was 30 and my youngest child was six months old, my mom, who had been a guiding light in my life, because let me tell you, if there was a badass woman, it was my mother. There'll be episodes on mothers and grief and all of the things that go with that. But in this one snippet in this story, I present to you my mother, who was a total badass. You never had to wonder what she was thinking because she would tell you. She was strong and she was grace and she was imperfect. And she was my guiding light in this life. And at 30, she was diagnosed with cancer and she died four months later. She was 52. In the process, I was in the moment living out her last months and days and weeks with her while also navigating, supporting a brand new life. The dichotomy of that is both beautiful and painful. Nate's first year will always be wrapped up in a little bit of grief for me because of walking that road with my mom. And she died one month before his first birthday. And so... Motherhood became something that I was doing on my own without her there to guide me. And because I'd had, you know, babies so young, most of my friends weren't at the same place. So there I was again, figuring it out on my own and giving myself completely over to that process. And grief was an element in that as well, because as long as I was mothering and I was loving these new humans, there wasn't a lot of space for grief and the loss of my mom. And in many ways that tied me even more deeply to the narrative of what it is to be a good to be a good woman, to give yourself over 
to service to other people. And I also used that service as a way of walking through the grief. Because if I wasn't living in my own body and I wasn't really attached to my own experience, then I didn't have to feel the grief of that monumental loss. It took years of summers because summers were the only time where I had space in my life to let the grief in. It took years of summers for me to process the grief and the experience that I had of losing my mom. That journey's not over. That kind of loss is something that stays with us forever. Grief becomes a part of our identity. It becomes a part of my heart. And I'm grateful that it is there. It means I had one hell of a mom, which also means I had one hell of an expectation to live up to. And so I did. I tried to live up to that expectation in every single thing I did in having a perfect home, in making perfect meals, in trying to be the most perfect present mother that was possible, while at the same time pushing myself as hard as I possibly could in my career to be as successful as possible so that my mom would be proud of me. And so I changed roles. I moved out of the classroom. I became a coach for other educators. And it was in that transition that I first realized that my voice could maybe be seen as a problem and that maybe people didn't like me. And that was a real shock because I'd always considered myself to be a very likable person. So the first time I realized, oh, I say things and it triggers something in someone else. And that comes back towards me as um, discomfort, dislike, Why don't you just stay in your box and don't observe what is happening in the system? And it took years of being in that system, of pushing back against it to realize just how much that system had destroyed me. There were years where I loved almost every second of the work I was doing. I do want to be clear about that because I don't regret the decisions that I made. Every single decision has gotten me to where I am today. Even though they are, it was painful in many ways, it also was exceptionally joyful and challenging and powerful 
for five years in my work. I felt like I was part of a team where I was seen, where we were all seen, where those of us who had been pushing back against the system in the shadows for so long were given an opportunity to step out of the shadows and actually be in the light and to share what we saw as the very oppressive aspects of a system that was meant for a totally different time. And in those years, I was fulfilled in my work in every possible way. Uh, My kids were young still, so there was still that squeeze. You know, I still felt like I worked a full day before I even got to work. And I loved it. I loved the young humans in my home. I loved my role as a mother and I loved my work I loved the people that I worked with and those people to this day remain some of the most important people in my life. I look to their light and their strength and their creativity and curiosity and they continue to inspire me. And without them, to be honest, I don't know that I would have ended up making the leap that I ended up making. Because while we found each other and community in this work that we were doing, they also helped me to find my voice, to find myself in ways that I hadn't before. The experiences that I had in that time supported me to be the leader that I am today. I had such a safe place to experiment and try on leadership in small ways, in big ways. It was exciting and it was challenging every single day. (laughs) I remember a few days like getting in the car and driving to work and being so damn happy that I would be like tears were streaming down my face because I was so fulfilled in every way. And I felt like I was making a difference. I felt like we were making a difference. And I thought, you know, I could do this work forever. And then I was reminded of how quickly our reality can change when we really have zero control over it. As much during that time as I felt like I was determining my own future and my own reality, I still was playing within a system that was so much bigger than me. And when that tide turned in that system, it took no time for that system to remind me that I was so small and that it would take very little to push me and everything that I thought I and we had built and end up literally in a closet under the stairs.
Now that sounds that sounds like a dramatic leap, and that shift did happen over a number of years. But in those years, I had I committed to doing the work of anti-oppression, and in a system that is committed to sustaining the status quo. The work of anti-oppression is challenging for everyone around that goal of status quo. And being a woman didn't make it any easier. I experienced sexism like I have never like I had never known before. It was like sexism that I'd read about in textbooks and it would happen to me and I would be left sitting there unable to respond because I was so shocked that here I was in a textbook, only not. It was real life and it was really happening and it was happening to me. But because the narrative of what it is to be a good woman was so strong, I continued to push it down and accept and accept the rules of what it meant to be a good woman and to just keep moving forward. Until one day, it was made so clear to me that my voice, my existence was not welcome in this system that I had no choice but to leave it. It was just a few months before I turned 45 and I had publicly stated something. I had written a tweet about how oppressive the practice of report cards are for all humans. Um, I'm going to cut in here for a second and say, this is not an education podcast. There will be a few episodes about certain things in education, but I do want to be clear. My story today has a lot to do around education because it's been my, it has been my identity for the last 20 years. And in telling my story, I am shedding that identity and it is both freeing and terrifying. And it is the thing that needs to happen. The telling of the story, the reflecting on what it is that got me here. It is what needs to happen for all of us. So, I had tweeted about the oppressive nature of report cards and I was reported and I had to go through a full investigation, despite the fact that what I was saying was grounded in research uh, that I had been doing for, that I had seen and been doing for years. Uh, I saw the way it impacted the humans in my care, in my classrooms. I wasn't making this up, but in that moment, it was the one thing that I could finally be called on. Oh, and was I called on it? 
And so that was the final act of the system telling me that I wasn't welcome. That I now know was my ticket to freedom. It was the event that made it impossible for me to stay so deeply rooted to this, to the narrative of what my life should be. And it made me stop. It made me take a step back and it made me go back to thinking about what I wanted my life to actually be. I took some time to think about when I felt the most like myself. And there are flashes of it that come to me throughout my life. There's this picture on the wall behind where I'm recording. It's me at about three years old. And I'm standing in a pair of perfectly classic 70s like underoos. I think maybe they have Wonder Woman on them. In a pool arms behind me, giant grin, full of joy and life and purpose and deeply connected to myself. I can see that in myself in that picture at three years old. I knew who I was. I loved living in my skin. I loved living in the life that I had. And over my years in education, the minute I entered into that system, I actually received the message right at the beginning that this place wasn't for me. When I was in kindergarten, I <laughs> um, was a totally different human when I started kindergarten. I came in and I was vivacious and I was full of life and I never stopped talking. And I had originally been sitting beside my best friend, Sarah, and uh, she, I, I talked to her constantly. So the teacher moved me to a table full of boys, which she, I'm sure she thought would keep me quiet. But I was so curious and confident and excited about the light, about life and the world and learning uh, that that didn't keep me quiet. This moment is burned into my brain like very few memories are. Um, I was an afternoon kindergarten kid, and in the morning, I'd been watching Canada AM with my mom, and there's this awesome story about um, turtles that had me so lit up. I just was like, this, this is the coolest thing. And so I came to school that day, and I was sharing what I had learned that morning, the incredible nature of these incredible turtle turtles turtles with the boys at my table and my teacher came I will never forget the anger on her face and while I don't remember the words she said I do remember the feeling of it and I felt so wrong and she put me in a desk at the front of the room that faced the wall so that I couldn't talk to anyone. And the symmetry of that to the last year of my career where I was teaching online in a room by myself is staggering. It makes me catch my breath. 
that the beginning and the end were so clear that that space was never meant for me. And yet I abandoned my deep inner knowing of that for 40 years to be the good woman that everybody expected me to be. So there's the me at three. And the next me that I really recognize as being, yeah, that's her. That's the full expression of this human that you came to this earth as was me at 16. I grew up going to a residential camp that became my soul's home. And at 16, it was my turn. (laughs) I'd been waiting for so long to get to spend the summer there and to actually work there and to be a counselor. It had been my life's greatest wish, hope, goal. And at 16, it happened. And I was there. And I was there for the whole summer. And in many ways, that summer unfolded like a beautifully... In many ways, that summer unfolded like one of those perfectly cheesy 80s coming-of-age movies. At least that's how it plays in my head. There was friendship. There was challenge. There was a person with power and control who all of us teenagers had to band together to survive. There was romance. And there was me at 16, achieving my goal. The thing that I had wanted to do since I was 18 years old, I was there, I was doing it, I was living it. And it was better than I could have ever imagined. And that 16-year-old me remains... In my heart, as the girl who fully lived in her body, who knew who she was, who understood how her footsteps on the earth impacted herself and those around her, and I love her so deeply. And the tears that you hear in my voice are the years that I spent walking away from her. Because she was the full expression of me. And yet it took me almost 30 years to be able to come back to letting her come out and be the me that exists in this world, the me that is not constrained by men, by hurt or by pain, but the me that I was actually meant to be.
And it was during the time in the last year of my career where I would look at myself in the mirror and not recognize the face looking back at me that made me start to peel back the layers. Because that 16-year-old, I've been calling her a girl, but she was always a woman. She stood in her power and she was confident and she was real. And she was knocking on my heart. She was desperately trying to be released. And when I no longer recognized the face in the mirror, I knew that it was time. That it was time to take a giant leap and completely transform my life because I had transformed into something I didn't know. And I wanted to be the person I had always known I was. And so with the support of my incredible partner, I made that decision to walk away from 20 years of a career And people kept asking me, you know, on the last day of school, like, oh, how does it feel? Uh, You know, are you, are you sad? And I was like, I am not sad at all. I felt relief. And every other last day of school in my career that you would always feel the excitement. You would feel all of those things the whole time, like from the time I was a student, there's the initial rush of like, woo, the year is over, we can celebrate. And almost as soon as the rush of that passed, there was this soul-sucking moment of, but it's starting all again in just two months. And the further I got into my career, the shorter those two months became And I would be able to enjoy the first day of vacation of the, like that first week of July was always the best. And then from there on, there was this drive, this engine running in me to soak up and enjoy every single second of the summer, because the moment September rolled around, I stopped living again. And that's what made it that I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore. I had stopped living. I had stopped enjoying. I was a slave to a routine. And that is no way to live. When you are just trying to get through every day, I wasn't living those days. I was just walking through the routine of it. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't joy. There was joy. I have always loved 
the humans who were in my learning communities. They were the joy. They were what got me up and out the door and into a school building every day. But eventually it came to a point where it, that was not enough. The weight of having to enter into an institution that was suffocating me and transforming me into somebody I didn't recognize became too great. And even the joy of the young humans and the relationships and the friends and the wonderful things that come along with a career that is so deeply rooted in your identity it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to keep me coming back through the door. And so September 2022 was the first time in 20 years that I had, or in 40 years, sorry, that it was not the first day of school for me. Still have two kids here. I am a mom of two. My oldest is in high is in his last year of high school, and my youngest is in grade eleven, so one year behind him. So I lived that first day of school through them, and I was excited for them, and I was not sad for myself for one hot second. In fact, I was so excited for me and what it meant to self-determine what that date would look like. I almost couldn't contain it. I was so full of joy and I looked at myself in the mirror and I could see that three-year-old girl full of curiosity and light and life and joy. And I could see 16-year-old me coming to the surface and I could feel us coming together. And so here I am now. At 45, transforming my life and hoping that my transformation can write a new narrative for other people who are going through the same thing as me, particularly women however you express that womanhood. Because there are so many voices telling us what we should do, how we should be, that there's not a lot of space to listen to our own internal voices, to hear who we actually are without all the shoulds. And so here I am now at 45 transforming this life, transforming it to look like what I always knew was my truth, transforming it to be joyful, transforming it to be present, transforming it to be here and living every single moment, and transforming it to bring others in to create a community where we can be who we are, where we call back our power, where we become the full expression of who we always were meant to be and who we always knew ourselves to be. 
We can't do this work alone. The power of women in community is something that cannot be understated. And so I am so grateful to all of you who are listening, to all of you who become part of this community. I hope that you share your stories. I invite you to send messages about what matters to you, what you want to hear about, so that we can serve that need. Because while I am coming back to myself and serving myself and what I need, I know that that creates space to be in service to others, to make space for everyone who feels like they need to come back home to themselves to do that. So here we are, episode one, done. And I cannot wait to watch what this community becomes. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.